curious at why it even became a thing because really, I don't really celebrate it. And so I was curious why, how. So what happened is the Catholic Church recognizes at least three different saints named Valentine. All of them were martyred. Um, the very or legend, they call it in history.com, the legend is that the priest, Valentine, served during the third century um, when an emperor decided that single men, sorry, you're out, um, made better soldiers than their wives and fam- than those with wives and families. So true. he outlawed young men to be married. So Valentine, he performed um, marriages for young lovers in secret. Oh, snap. And then he was beheaded because the emperor found out. The other story is that the Valen- that um, a Saint Valentine was killed for attempting to help Christians escape harsh Roman prisons, where they were often beaten and tortured. According to one legend, the Va- Saint Valentine um, sent the first Valentine. He fell in love with the young girl, possibly his jailer's daughter. And it is alleged that he wrote her a letter signed from your valentine. Then, okay. (laughs) I don't even know what to do with that. Oh, anyways. So, say, then there was this pagan festival that they say that um, back in, it doesn't give me a date, was the celebration of Lupercal, it's called Lupercalia. And it was celebrated in the middle of February, and it was a fertility festival. This, is, this goes a little bit far for me. Um, so these priests would gather at a cave. They would sacrifice a goat for fertility, a dog for purification. What? Yeah. What did then the dog they, do? Then they would, <laughs> they would strip the goat's hide into strips, dip them into blood, take them to the streets, and gently slap both women and crops. What? This is why. However, like slap them. Women, Roman women, welcome the touch of their hides. They, wait, they welcomed it? Because it was believed to make them fertile in the coming year. That's Later weird. in this festival day, you would take your name, women, and you'd all, if you were single, put it in a urn. A single man would come, grab a name, and that what? is who you had to hang out with for a whole year. It's like Tinder in an urn. Yikes. Okay? No swipe rights or lefts. Did you even know? But, 1900s, the printed cards began to replace written letters. Ready-made cards, this fascinated me as much as the blood. Ready-made cards were an easy way for people to express their emotions in a time when direct expression of one's feelings were discouraged. And I'm like, no wonder we don't want to talk about sex and because they didn't even want to talk about feelings. But did you know that today, according to Hallmark, an estimated 145 million Valentine cards are sent each year? That's impressive making Valentine's Day the second largest sending holiday of the year to? Christmas? Christmas. Well done, Hallmark. So, what do you think 
is a one reason, Matthew, that a teenager might want to have sex? Oh, that is a big question. Probably because it feels good? Yes. God invented sex, and he intended it to be pleasurable. If it didn't feel good, we wouldn't want to have it or even think about it. In fact, God looked at his creation, including his invention of sex, and said it was very good. Genesis 1.31 says God saw all that he had made, and it was good. Sometimes we act like sexual pleasure was something that Satan created because it's uncomfortable to talk about. But God created sex. Actually, the first commandment that God gave Adam and Eve was to have sex. But sex has a purpose beyond just bringing pleasure. God made it so that the only way the human race could grow is through sex. Genesis 1.28 says God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds, the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So it's pleasurable and powerful. Without sex, none of us would be here. Don't think about that one too much. Don't think <laughs> about that. But if you think about it, you guys, the miracle of this. Two people have sex. Nine months later, another human being comes out. That's like super creative. It is. That is such a cra- crazy thing. And we call it the miracle of life, right? Don't, just stop thinking about it. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll keep moving. Its life-giving ability is clearly part of the design for sex. Sex is for procreation, but it's more than just making babies. Sex also has a bonding purpose. Genesis 2.24 talks about how husband and wife become one flesh. It's this phrase that points us to the reality of what, ha- what sex does for us humans. Two people are bonded together Physically, literally, but also emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. We've actually started to see the truth behind this scientifically. When people have sex, two chemicals get released in our brains, uh, oxytocin and vasopressin. These two chemicals have an effect on how we interact with each other. uh, They cultivate recognition, they cultivate trust, romantic attachment. The Bible also uses this word, no, when it talks about two people having sex. Genesis 4, 1 uh, says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. It's this deep, connected knowledge. It's not just, oh, I know you, but it goes deeper than that. Uh, these, they were bonded together. So, sex is good. God created it to feel good, to make babies, and to bond two people together. But we have to understand the boundaries for it. Last week, I talked about how my son would love to sit in front of the TV all day, but that's not actually super healthy for him. He required boundaries for how to engage in TV. The same is true with sex. Yes, it is good, and it has its purposes, but there are boundaries for how we engage with it. The Bible points to it being appropriate only for those who are married. It only makes sense in that context because of the commitment that two people have made. 
our culture has a very loose view of sex. Culture says, if it feels good, you should do it. But there's a problem with that. When people have sex outside of marriage, you have more intimacy than you do commitment. Think about it like this. If someone were to walk up to a cashier at a grocery store and give them a hug and a kiss, that would be super weird. Like, hugging and kissing is a way to express close intimacy. That person would probably get escorted from the building, banned for life, probably arrested. I don't know. It is an inappropriate interaction for that relationship. But if that same person gives the cashier a $20 bill to pay for their groceries, that is an appropriate uh, interaction for that relationship. The same is true with sex. It is appropriate in marriage because the commitment matches the level of intimacy. Sex is a high level of intimacy between two people. Marriage is a high level of commitment. Okay, so sex is great, but I can't have it yet. That kind of sucks. That's like putting a cake in front of a kid and telling them, no, 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 you can't eat it yet. You got to wait till you're older. But, but it's right there. It's just, it's like right there. Why? Just a little, just a taste, just a little bit, a little taste. We should be wary of letting our desires make our choices. The same brain that tells me I should do something is the same brain that lies to me and tells me I'm worthless. It's the same brain that tells me to hurt other people when I'm angry. It's the same brain that tells me if I eat chocolate all day, it'll be a good thing. Our desires shouldn't be what motivates our choices. When I was a kid, my mom made my favorite cake. It was chocolate with brown butter icing. Oh, that cake is, oh, I still dream about that cake. It's so good. She made it one day for my brother's birthday. So it's my brother's birthday cake. And it was sitting on the counter, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have something. She's like, nope, you can't. We have to have it later for when people come. It's, uh, it's for your brother, all that. But, man, I wanted it. So I waited until she was out of the room. And then I walked up to the counter, drew myself a little circle in the, in the frosting, had a, had a taste, and it was awesome. Then I hear her coming, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to get in trouble if I stay here. So out the back door I go. She comes down. She obviously knows what I did. She obviously knows where I went. So she starts to follow me. And I get this beautiful idea. If I go around the house, I can go in the front door, down the steps, back to the kitchen, and get myself another taste. So I do that. We do that song and dance like two or three times. She was furious at me. I, and I, was, I messed it up. Like, I ruined my brother's cake. My brother was hurt and disappointed. Everyone at the party was disappointed because that cake was legendary. I didn't know the hurt that I would cause. My mom did. She tried to stop me. I lost that battle to that temptation. So what are we to do? What happens if we find ourselves alone with our girlfriend or boyfriend? What happens if we find ourselves alone with our phone? How do we stop ourselves? I think in those moments, we have to remind ourselves 
of something that is bigger and better than sex. We have to remind ourselves about sexual integrity, this idea that I'm going to submit my whole life under God's direction, that God wants life for me, that he knows more about what that looks like than I do. The Bible uses this word pornea to talk about anything related to sex. It prohibits every kind of sexual relationship outside of marriage. And to be clear, sex includes oral, anal, or vaginal sex. God puts those boundaries in place for our good. Sex is a powerful way to express intimacy, and our relationship has to match that power. That is why it only makes sense in marriage. Now, here's the biggest point I want you to get tonight. You do not need to have sex to experience a full life. I'm going to say it one more time. You do not need to have sex to experience a full life. Sex is not the biggest part about what it means to be human. Sex is not the only part of what it means to experience happiness or intimacy with others. conversation for next week because we're going to dig into what does it look like to have friends and what does it look like to have intimate relationships without having sex or having a boyfriend or girlfriend. So I'm excited to, to dig into that. But since sex is connected to marriage, we need to understand what God's intent was for marriage. It's not just to spend life together with someone so you're not lonely. It's meant ideally to point back to the creator. Marriage reflects more than the reality of just a husband and a wife and their love for each other. Marriage at its deepest reality is shows the love that Christ had for his bride, which is the church. When a husband and wife come together to commit to this covenant promised relationship in marriage, they're actually pointing to the promises that God made us. Husbands and wives stand up before each other and say, I'm going to walk beside you. In your sickness, your health, your dumb decisions, in riches, in poor. Jesus' promise to us is actually bigger than those promises that a husband and wife make. Jesus says, I'm going to give my life for you. Actually, he did give his life for us. He says, I'm going to give you strength and peace through the Holy Spirit. And that is not something that David, my husband, can give for me. So why are we so focused on this evolute? elevating this relationship of marriage when it's not even eternal. My relationship with David, my husband, will not last past this earth, but my relationship with God will. The church tends to elevate marriage and kids, and I feel like I have single friends who are like, so when are you going to get married? When are you going to date? When are you going to have kids? So I want you to know that if you don't get married, you are still great. You are still useful in this body. You are still beautiful in the sight of God and his church. Marriage is a very small relationship compared to our grand relationship with God. And I used to think that marriage was just like this pathway when I became an early believer to have sex without sinning or this constant state of being in love. But there's so much more to it than that. Marriage is a picture of sacrifice and laying down your own desires moment by moment, day by day, working hard to keep your relationship healthy. I remember when we first got married and we lived in this shoebox apartment 
And I was like, it was the first three months, and I was so mad at David. I'm like, and there's no place to go because we're stuck here. And how do we work this out? So even like learning how to fight, it's hard. Ephesians 5.25 says, we are to love our spouses how Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? By giving his life for her. Marriage is a picture of the sacrificial love of God. So if you're not called to give up your life for another person, then you may not be called to marriage. Marriage is literally putting around down my own desires and wants at times to get along, to compromise. If you get married someday, I hope you come tell me and introduce me to your person, and I will ask you these two things. Does that person love Jesus? Our first goal is to love God. If that person doesn't give you more value to love God and grow your relationship with him, then I might look at you and say, this might not be your person. The second set of questions that I, I would ask you is about you loving that person. Are you ready to lay down your life for the person you're considering marrying? Are you ready to serve them? One thing that's helped me when thinking about marriages is seeing it as a crucible. Crucible. Did you ever take chemistry? Maybe. I don't remember. So a crucible is a bowl in science class that we would use to mix chemicals and metals together, and it's where things would, like, bond together. Only in this bowl can things safely be mixed together, which is the same as sex in scripture. Sex bonds two people together, so where it takes place matters. As the creator of sex, God created marriage to be a crucible for sex. It's only in marriage where sex can be fully expressed and enjoyed. Marriage provides the protection so these forces can be shared. Sexual integrity looks like honoring the needs of your spouse sexually by providing patience, love, and self-control in your relationship. What I mean by this is there's going to be times that your spouse is like, I don't want to have sex. Maybe she just had a baby. Maybe whatever his reason is, it can go both ways. But honoring them in that moment means that you love them no matter what. You don't guilt them into it. You don't pressure them, but you're curious of why they don't want to. It's also realizing that there are ways to experience intimacy beyond sex. David is a, his love language is touch. That is not my love language. So knowing that, I know that he likes to hold hands. Not my favorite thing, sweaty hands, gross. But I love to sit in bed and watch shows and talk about our day. That just like speaks to me. And he doesn't want to watch my shows or talk to me. He's like, stop talking. But that is him meeting my need. It's a choice to love my spouse daily if I get married. When we see marriage as a crucible, we're able to see marriage not as a promise, but a possibility. Sexual integrity needs to be shown through us, whether we're married or we're single, so that we can live a flourishing and full life that God intends for all of us. We don't have a take two tonight because we're short on time, but um, you, I'm gonna pray. I'm going to dismiss you, and if you want to stay in your time and not come back for the game, you can do that. 
Um, I've told eighth grade that they won't have their room, so don't feel like you have to leave your room. I've given them alternatives, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the love that you give us. I thank you that you have provided students who are open and honest and willing to just hear this and sit in this uncomfortable space. And so, Lord, I just pray for your spirit to meet us tonight, that we would be honest and and question and think about this love that you have for us and this love and how we show it to others. And that we have this full understanding of what and who you've created us to be as sexual beings. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys aren't getting the front row? No, I had no idea. I had... You have a last name? <laughs> Interrogate all the people. But I want to get to know you. So 
Leiliana? Okay, thank you. No, you know why? Because my, no, there's,